Section 36 of the Watergate Report, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kevin Vink. Final Report of the Senate Select Committee on Presidential Campaign Activities, Volume 3. Chapter 11, Individual Views of Senators of the Select Committee, Part 9. 4. Transition from fact to opinion. At the conclusion of the fact-gathering phase of the committee's mandate, I met with Legislative Assistant A. Cyril Field and Assistant Minority Counsel H. William Schur to discuss what shape our report on Watergate should take. We settled upon the following woulds and wouldn'ts. 1. We would emphasize the known in order to impress upon the reader the importance of its implications rather than explode new facts of scandal. We were convinced White House strategy was, is, geared to numbing America past concern by inundating America with one White House horror after another. 2. We would report within a framework of principles and institutions rather than people. 3. We would opine and editorialize, but separately from the factual presentation. 4. We would recommend remedial legislation. We wouldn't try and resolve conflicting testimony. We wouldn't make judgments on individual guilt or innocence. We wouldn't cite shaky material as proof. If what you've read up to now in these pages is not new, neither is it susceptible to argument. The indisputable ugliness of Watergate is of such scope as to categorize it as a sheer insanity, either for those who participated in it or have since defended it. I don't know, except as the courts have already passed judgment, who is guilty or who is innocent. But I do know that to accept the White House version of your Constitution, your government, and your politics is to counterfeit America. A. Understanding Watergate All right, what to do with the raw data of Watergate? Unless positive understandings and actions emanate from this negative sequence, then it seems to me nobody really was caught breaking into Watergate. The gut question this summer is what do Americans now know and what are they going to do about it? By way of dramatizing the need for a proper answer to that question, let me cite the following example. I recently received a critical letter which read, Really, Senator, all is fair in love and war. American elections, war, members of another party, enemies, politics, fear. Is that the lesson America is taking home from the Watergate? Because if such is the case, then a whole new era in American politics will have dawned, and Gordon Liddy will be recognized not as peculiar, but as a visionary. Also at such time, we of the select committee would have failed. Though a year has gone by between the time of the Senate Watergate hearings and this senator's Watergate conclusions, it is a matter of constitutional life and death that the American people make a connection between those two events. What about the Constitution? Is it up to our times? Certainly it never before has obtained such visibility. But how about acceptance? 1. The Constitution Later in this section, I intend to editorialize on the abuses to our governmental and political institutions. However, the pivotal struggle of Watergate is one between men who play for the moment and look upon the Constitution as a 4th of July interruption to their own charter, and men who play for tomorrow and understand it to be the force that has given America success beyond America's natural abilities for success. Never first in population, landmass, or natural resources, why have we attained a national greatness and personal affluence beyond that achieved by any country or people? Because we perjured? Because dissent was disloyalty? 
because justice was political, because our concern was developing rear, because we burgled, because we thought the worst of each other, or because all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, or because Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances, or because the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, or because no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, or because in all criminal prosecutions the accused shall enjoy the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, or because the president shall take the following oath, I do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. I catch none of the everybody's doing it or transcripts spirit in any of those words. The constitutional history of Watergate to this date has been that of a president and his ministers who de facto have tried to yes but most sections of the Constitution. I feel Article 5 to be preferable to administration amending methods. Several years ago, many Americans were willing to silently tolerate illegal government activity against militants, terrorists, or subversives as an expeditious way to circumvent the precise process of our justice system. Though quick, it also proved to be only a short step to using such illegal tactics against any dissenting American. The result was we almost lost America not to subversives, terrorists, or extremists of the streets, but to subversives, terrorists, and extremists of the White House. That is why there can be no acquiescence now to a few yes buts to the Constitution. To do so would be just as big a cop-out as those who espouse violence in the name of peace. American constitutional democracy is not the tidiest, most orderly, most efficient, most expeditious, quietest political system on earth. It is in fact raucous, often a thousand directions of concern, involved with millions of individuals rather than a mass, revolutionary and querulous. But what some deem as flaws are precisely its genius. For those who have made it, it's a pain. For those who haven't, it rebutes predestination. Our greatness will always be in direct proportion to our freedoms. Yes, that includes the freedom to be wrong. Free spirits, not measured freedom, has been the promise of the Constitution. We can have peace in Vietnam, on campus, and in the neighborhood without forfeiting that promise, and no man or group of men deserve leadership if they would put the nation to such a choice. 2. Government The offices of government in this nation are complex and awesomely powerful, even if engaged on legal pursuits. It's not an exaggeration to state that a U.S. senator needs every bit of his clout to move effectively within the bureaucratic maze. Insofar as the 99.9% .9 of Americans who are not presidents, congressmen, or senators, if anything goes wrong with either end of the govern-government equation, the mismatch of the century ensues. And that's so, even though the slip-up is innocently legal. Fully 50% of a senator's time and staff are devoted to resolving the innocently legal slip-ups between his constituents and their government, and I'm sure those who speak up are no more than 5% of those being wronged. What, then, 
if agencies and officers of the U.S. government become involved not in innocently legal mistakes, but purposefully illegal vengeance. In light of the facts already presented, the greatest danger of this section is for me not to over-editorialize the case so as to engender disbelief. Of those who read this report, 99% of them know senators, congressmen, successful lawyers, and other powerful persons. But America is not supposed to be about the powerful, rather the frail. And they're the ones who will eventually suffer the most if the White House record on using the government agencies politically to bring about conformity is allowed to go unchallenged. The enemies list, revealed in the dialogue I had with John Dean, has received much hoopla. But aside from the fact that today it has become a badge of honor, have you ever thought what it feels like to be an American and have the highest office in the land look upon you as an enemy? To be spied on, to be investigated, to be harassed, to be reviled by your own country? It may be a badge of honor when revealed, but it's frighteningly disheartening while it's going on, and no one believes that these things are happening in America. Oh yes, I've heard the excuses for the illegal use of the federal law enforcement intelligence community. National security, domestic security, terrorists, law and order, subversives, militants. But let me put the White House record in the proper factual context. No administration within my lifetime has had a worse record of convictions in relation to indictments than the Nixon administration. Why? Because it tried to achieve law and order by lawlessness. It was the courts that said no not the Justice Department. In the matter of the Special Compliance Division of the IRS and their keeping tabs on militants, subversives, terrorists, ideological, and other organizations, it is fact that in all of the IRS files that came into White House possession, there is not one militant, subversive, terrorist individual or organization. That is the lesson of a White House gone ape. Our lesson is that you can't protect the rights of anyone unless you protect the rights of everyone. The differences between myself and this administration on Watergate are not philosophical, political, historical, personal, or regional. They are constitutional, pure and simple. A better summation of our differences could not be found than the surreptitious entry language of the 1970 Spy Houston Sullivan Plan, and again in the words of the President on September 15, 1972. Use of this technique is clearly illegal. It amounts to burglary. It is also highly risky and could result in great embarrassment if exposed. However, it is also the most fruitful tool and can produce the type of intelligence which cannot be obtained in any other fashion. You can't have that and democracy. I want the most comprehensive notes on all those who tried to do us in. They didn't have to do it. They are asking for it and they are going to get it. We have not used the power in this first four years, as you know. We have not used the Bureau. FBI, and we have not used justice, but things are going to change now, and they are either going to do it right or go. You can't have that and democracy. Remember what Pat Gray said? I said earlier in the game that I thought that Watergate would tarnish everyone with whom it came in contact, and I am no exception. I had a responsibility not to permit myself to be used, not to permit myself to be deceived, and I failed in that responsibility and I have never failed in anything that I have undertaken until this point in time, and it hurts. The Congress and the American people, with more facts in hand than Pat Gray ever had, have an even greater responsibility not to be used or deceived in this matter of abuses to our governmental agencies and political processes. 
because most elected officials or citizens haven't had the FBI, IRS, CIA, MISS, Justice Department, Defense Department, Commerce Department, Fat Jack, or Tony Olasowicz on their tail does not mean the abuses of Watergate passed them by. It only means that if they don't speak out now, they've got no complaint later. A little less spectating Watergate and a little more speaking out is very much in order. Admittedly, to speak out is tough, just as the Bill of Rights and democracy is tough. But speaking out is a patriotism far better suited to 1974 than 1972's wearing of flag lapel pins by White House and CREP employees while they advocated burglary, wiretapping, committed perjury, politicized justice, impugned the patriotism of those who disagreed with them, and threw due process in the shredder. Americans of all generations have suffered and died at their best because they were uncompromising in the idealism they wished for their country. Who of this generation, then, wants to declare a lesser truth for America? It is the answer we give to that question which matters. It will decide America. 3. Politics In November 1962, I was elected to my first public office, State Representative to the General Assembly in Hartford, Connecticut. Now, some twelve years and eight elections later, I am rounding out my first term in the U.S. Senate, a boyhood dream come true. Yes, it's time-consuming and rough on the family life. To that extent, it's tough. But each dawn, for twelve years, has me looking forward to the day. Politics is a clean business with dedicated people. The terms nine-to-five and five-day week are seldom heard. The winning politician is in the business of love and not hate. The average politician takes the cost of serving out of his pocket and not the public's taxes. These things need saying to challenge the end-justifies-the-mean image, the everybody's-doing-it image, that the White House knowingly and a few ignoramuses unwittingly would give politics. We're replete with failings personally, as I, my staff, and my family know all too well. But with the public trust given us by our constituencies, we'd no more see that in the mud than the American flag. Can I prove the above? Sure, look at your America as I've asked the people of Connecticut to look at their state. The truth of American politics is in the schools of this country, not a wiretap. In the hospitals, not a burglary. In the housing projects, not a scurrilous letter. In the parks, not in hush money. In facilities for the retarded, not in spying. In people who would volunteer in a thousand ways, not in dirty tricksters. In politicians who reach for the weak first, the strong second, not in hatchetmen. In short, dirt does not conceive so much tangible excellence as we have in our country. The truth of America is not in the deeds of men and women at their worst, but rather at their best. Government with its politicians and the people are not a part in a democracy. They are one. And so it is we will not get any better ethics or more idealism in the Oval Office or on the Senate floor than we do in the voting booths. Watergate was conceived in an ignorant apathy of the electorate and was executed in semi-conscious apathy. Its greatest danger is that it will be forgotten in an apathy of total knowledge. That kind of voting booth acquittal means that American politics has officially joined the administration on the dark side of the manhole. Thank you. No. B. People in Power Watergate is not the story of one powerful man. It is a story of people. Though my efforts have been directed towards the principles and institutions of this nation, I am well aware that their existence or disappearance reflects human behavior. 
it is no source of pride to me as an american that the coinage of responsibility has been an inverse measure to rank and power i was taught early on first by my dad and then by the u s army that rank has its privileges because rank has its responsibilities yet in the case of this president i've heard the word privilege used over and over again as a dodge of responsibility the word stonewall has been used to describe the president's defense believe me it has been and continues to be a human wall c republicans obviously this has been rough duty in a republican sense however from the outset i've operated on the basis that the best investigation was the best politics i couldn't change the facts i couldn't silence those who knew the facts all i could do was make sure that a republican spoke the facts if not before then simultaneously with a democrat on page 103 of the transcripts president richard nixon is talking to john dean i don't know what we can do the people who are most disturbed about this unintelligible are the adjective deleted republicans a lot of these congressmen financial contributors etc are highly moral the democrats are just sort of saying expletive deleted fun and games richard nixon understood the strong base of integrity that is a republican heritage because he rejected it is then no reason for any republican to do so now because the republican national committee and its chairman senator robert dole of kansas were in the traditional republican mold of decency and honesty is exactly the why of a committee to re-elect the president at an executive session of the select committee held on wednesday june nineteenth nineteen seventy four i inquired of the staff and the committee whether after one year of investigation there was evidence of wrongdoing by either the rnc or senator dole the answer was a clear-cut no in both instances republicans who now state that everybody does it dishonor the men and women of their own official party organization and bob dole who didn't do it and wouldn't have done it one last comment the record establishes that one the white house took a dive on the congressional races of 1972 insofar as many republican candidates were concerned two democratic candidates were actively assisted in some instances three the white house expended considerable resources and energies zapping republican senators and congressmen four the justice department was consulted as to how to keep a republican off the florida primary ballot along with a will to pursue the truth i would hope that the will to win for the republican party is slightly stronger and fairer in its next titular head d tomorrow no this won't be the watergate to end all watergates other men will tape the doors of america in other times whether they succeed will be a matter of spirit for then as now the state of our spirit will determine the state of this union recommendations the necessary legislative and or constitutional steps should be initiated to one make all forms of domestic electronic surveillance including wiretapping illegal two have the office of attorney general of the united states be an elected office three make all nominations for federal elective office by direct primary with unaffiliated voters free to participate in the party primary of their choice four establish a joint congressional committee with complete investigative powers and rotating membership to monitor domestic intelligence gathering and law enforcement activities throughout the executive branch and be able under appropriate safeguards to obtain and provide access to relevant materials requested by any member of congress similar oversight functions now held by congressional committees should be transferred to the joint committee five 
grant the supreme court original jurisdiction over disputes as to any privilege asserted by the president with respect to the congress or federal law enforcement agencies thereby making the supreme court the first and final arbiter of the issue six subject senior white house staff personnel to confirmation by the senate seven prohibit white house staff from making recommendations inquiries or exchanging classified information with any department or agency as to any case action or funding except upon written authority of the president which authority shall be immediately transmitted to the appropriate congressional committee along with the description of each instance in which the authority is used eight draft a code of candidate responsibility with appropriate disciplinary rules and grievance procedures to be enforced through a federal elections commission nine provide for accredited campaign representatives exchanged by opponents for nomination or election to federal office to be accorded the privileges of travel interviews and news releases granted to accredited press representatives in general 10. require federal candidates and office holders to fully disclose all sources of income and assets or liabilities over one thousand five hundred dollars to be submitted by february fifteenth of each year for the calendar year preceding for publication in the congressional record this to supersede any present statutes relative to congressional financial disclosure eleven require campaigns for the presidency after a nominee is selected to be run by the party of the candidate twelve require that campaigns for nomination or election to federal office be conducted between the first tuesday of september and the first tuesday of november thirteen designate election day as a federal holiday in order that the voting franchise not be restricted by competing concerns about jobs fourteen require that candidates for federal elective office report all collections and expenditures two weeks before election day with no collections thereafter fifteen prohibit candidates for federal elective office from accepting cash contributions over fifty dollars or spending more than ten thousand dollars in personal funds sixteen restrict candidates for federal elective office to only one campaign committee seventeen open all congressional hearings and sessions to the public except with respect to national security proprietary information or personally defamatory matters the present rule, leaving such open sessions up to each committee's discretion, should be made mandatory and uniform. End of section 36